0: Today's episode is sponsored by Alliance Leisure, the UK's leading leisure development specialist. Over the last 30 years, Alliance has worked with numerous local authorities to design and develop community sustainable leisure environments that encourage active lives, promote community cohesion, and tackle health inequalities. With a diverse portfolio of more than 220 leisure developments, ranging from single site projects to multi million pound complete leisure portfolio transformations. Alliance Leisure Services can be procured through the UK Leisure Framework. The framework is open to all public sector organisations in the UK. For more information, visit allianceleisure.co.uk. Hello and welcome to The Truth About Local Government. On today's episode, we're going to be talking with Arthur Shavania, Chief Executive of Mid-Suffolk and Baber Councils, which is the first Green Party majority council in the Northern Hemisphere and an elegant, green, independent, liberal-democrat power-sharing council. It is a council that looks after two very different areas, both politically and what they need for play shaping And Arthur is an incredibly talented leader who is has uh, been kind enough to offer his time to come and talk about what makes him tick, what makes the council tick, and what the plans are for that area. Arthur, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. How are you? Good, thank you. Um, so, right, first question I have, um, you know, it's the first Green Council a majority in the Northern Hemisphere. Has the, uh, the Green Party majority changed the way in which officers, um, in which the councils run, or has there been any surprises that you've encountered?
1: I think... It wasn't a surprise that we were going to have uh, more green councillors, and certainly for Mid Suffolk, uh, obviously serving two councils as I do for Mid Suffolk, we expected probably that was going to be a green majority. We weren't sure and didn't see coming the the large increase in green councillors in Baber, um, but I think in terms of. How does it feel different? We try to best guess how it would be, how it might be, but the reality is that now working with two administrations and the green councillors in particular in those administrations, they're not traditional councillors, and I've said that to them as well. They're not traditional politicians. They don't think like a traditional politician. So in the way in which officers over the years we've developed this knack of thinking ourselves to walk in the shoes of our politicians so we can try and preempt how they might think, the things they might be concerned about, how the politics might play out. And yet, in reality, for them, it's very different and they see the world in a slightly different way. And So we're having to learn as officers to adapt. So something as simple as, or relatively simple as, in the past, you can imagine that any organisation and councils included would carefully manage what they're putting out in terms of press releases and communication um, to make sure that whilst that's even-handed, you would expect the leader and the administration to want to have a clear voice and be uh, being the ones who are speaking on behalf of particular issues whereas what we've found is that actually they're much more relaxed about that and if there's a local issue in a particular ward they're more than happy that that ward councillor even if it's not a green councillor is the one that takes the lead on behalf of the council for that and that we're much more open and transparent about everything that we do and that's not to say we were hiding things before but they absolutely have a mentality and an approach which is wanting to put things very much out there uh, for people to to pick over and work with us as much as possible and that links back as you say to that that desire to be more community-led. And
0: being community led, how hard is it to manage two separate regions with different political um, kind of uh, majorities or political persuasions with different vision? How do you get that right as a leader so that both um, areas thrive and grow and develop under your leadership and under the political administration at that point?
1: Yeah, so I think the practical reality of, of running two councils is that uh, every councillor wants 110, 110% of your time. So, And of course, you can't be everywhere all at once. Um, but the reality for our regions is, for both districts, they survive and certainly thrive off of each other to some degree. So there is no benefit, and our politicians and our councillors know this, there's no benefit in one being hyper-successful and the other one falling by the wayside, because for our communities, whilst they may live technically in a different district, they neighbour each other, they're still part of the same rural community overall, they're still part of the heart of Suffolk in terms of our geography and so what's good for one is good for the other I suppose is what's best way of describing it so it's important uh, if we were using the current government's language that we level up consistently uh, rather than being uh, favouring one over another. Clearly when both councils align their strategies that's a lot easier, it's it's inevitable it's I can't hide from that it's much more straightforward. and when they don't then there's less efficiency and we have to adapt accordingly and I don't know yet how that will be because our councillors as you've said want to be much more community-led so they've got views about what they think is important but we're out to engagement at the moment to find out and test whilst they think these things are important what do the public think and only once we've really done that proper testing and engagement with with our communities will they then formulate and say these are our priorities and I suspect the reality is because the geography is relatively similar and the levels of deprivation are relatively similar and the demographics are relatively similar. It would be really surprising if we ended up with priorities that were poles apart, one for one council and one for another. But they won't be identical. And they won't be identical because actually, something like Baber. Nobody knows where it is, they can't pronounce it, they can't spell it. It's not a real thing, it's a local government construct. It hasn't got a wall around it. In reality, what Baber is, is made up of all of the places that exist within that artificial geography, and the same for Mid Suffolk. So, inevitably, we're going to be in a situation where what's right for Stone Market, which is one of my major towns, is not going to be the same as what's right for Sudbury, another one of my major towns. But that would be the case even if we were one council. Um, it's just that we happen to be covering a larger geography as two.
0: Absolutely. I mean, there's this constant conversation at the moment whereby is bigger better. You know, you've got more and more unitary councils being created um, for for cost efficiencies, but there is something about the size of the organisation of Baber and Mid Suffolk that I think you've generated the efficiencies, but you've retained the the kind of the individuality and the individual response needed to to those areas, which I think is just fantastic to see. I do sometimes question when you get to a size you know, where there's many councils forming into one, how you, you know, look after all areas and ensure that no areas are forgotten, left behind, it becomes a lot harder. But, you know, you guys are doing such a fantastic job. It, around this, you know, there is so much that you're doing. I was looking earlier about the way in which you're tackling loneliness, the way that you're looking to free net zero, the way in which you're looking to support private, rent, private rented uh, landlords. What are you proud of? What's your proudest achievements that you've had today at Suffolk um, so far?
1: That's a tricky one because as you say we're, we cover a multitude of bases and we're trying to uh, trying to make a difference every single day in everything that we do. I think the thing we're probably most proud of is that community engagement element so it's not so much the the specific projects and, and the impact that we've had in relation to a particular community here versus a particular community there. I tend to look at it I suppose more strategically in terms of are we taking the approaches that are going to put us in the right place for our communities for the next five years, the next ten years. So what I'm most proud about I suppose is the fact that we're able to carve out the time in a very very busy world of dealing with all of the issues that face us today to make sure that we don't forget about the next generation, that we don't forget about what we need to do further down the line and that we take that, that genuine place shaping approach is, is a I always say that if you look at what a council does and a district council does, no sane person would have put all of those different components into one business. Um, It's just not a business model that a bank would ever lend to. Um, And yet those are the things we have to do, whether that's regulation around housing, around building control, around planning, around environmental health, alongside what we're trying to do in terms of improving the economy and trying to improve uh, the environmental credentials and increase the amount of affordable housing. So it's trying to make sure that we deliver services in a really effective way, individually, but they see equally collectively, and that we don't forget that people don't live their lives through individual council surfaces. They live in places, and they live in communities. and It's about relationships. And so getting us to the point and we're not there yet, but we'll get there where um, we're absolutely seen as not just being the council, um, but their council with a reputation that people want to come and engage with us because they know that by working with us, we'll help them. We won't necessarily tell them what to do because that we be the wrong thing to do. And sometimes it is about us just getting out of the way and staying out of the way and letting communities and, and, and businesses get on with it. But it is that's I think the, the most proud element for me is that we've built a culture that allows that to be possible.
0: As a chief executive, what do you think are the biggest challenges facing leaders within local government at the moment?
1: I think it's two obvious ones, and that doesn't mean they're not true. <laughs> so, money uh money is absolutely a challenge uh, i think as a district council uh, or two district councils we've managed to stave that off for a little bit longer than others because of the efficiency that comes from delivering on behalf of two councils at the same time rather than just being one on our own um, and clearly we don't face some of the challenges that the the county councils or some of the unitaries face in terms of social care uh and those uh, those aspects which absolutely need need properly funding but that doesn't mean that we don't equally have a budget gap every year and need to need to find more innovative ways more partnership ways of of working i think the the linked point to that is it's not just about cash it's about people and quality skills and increasingly in a variety of service areas the resources, the staff just don't exist. Um, generations of building control planners, various other things, where in the past there would have been a pipeline of people that we could uh, draw upon. They're just not there anymore. They haven't been trained.
0: Absolutely. So budget gap is 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 one aspect, but obviously as district council, you do obviously just said there. Absolutely, you do have uh, each year. Uh, money to find a more innovative ways to, to partner with organizations to to find that. Um, do you feel, I mean, we talked about this new local approach around radical leadership. What does leadership mean to you, and do you see leadership evolving within local government over the, you know, do there, is there a need, I should say, within local government, a radical change in how leaders act, behave, and interact with their communities?
1: I think leadership has got to come from two different ways, um, uh, possibly four different ways, depending on where you look at it. So, uh, at the very least, it's running an organisation. It's providing the leadership to make sure that you've got a stable organisation that's functioning well and is going to exist into the future uh, as a ge- as a going concern. But if you just do that, then I think you're missing the essence of what local government can be and should be. So running alongside that has got to be that community leadership aspect. But that's a partnership. That's not me on my own. That's me alongside my councillors, of course, because the thing that sets us apart as local government compared to other parts of the public sector is that democratic aspect. So it's getting that balance right. And it will vary from council to council as to how that relationship is between the role of the leader of the council versus the role of the chief executive. But between us uh, and between the cabinets and my senior leadership team it's about making sure that we're providing that that leadership into the community space to enable to empower to help understand and listen more than tell uh, and then act accordingly but as i said equally knowing when to stay out of the way get out of the way and let communities get on with it and then at a more strategic level influencing on a regional or national basis and that's again one of the advantages of being two councils is that we can come together and speak with a collective louder voice uh, whether that's on the regional stage or, or on the national stage and that making sure that we're using those lobbying skills and using those l- lobbying opportunities where possible and that again coming back to the previous conversation is something that's changed obviously since the last elections because we've gone from being uh, conservative councillors essentially um, in a conservative government time uh, to being and green in a Conservative government time and therefore how you lobby needs to adapt accordingly.
0: It's one of those where I mean I was at this uh, localis event uh, a couple of weeks ago and we were talking about the financial pressures that councils are under and the severity of it and it does feel that counties and unitaries because they are torn between two uh, there was disagreement in the room whether they're opposing whether they could live uh, together but one a council's purpose is a place serving function. You know there was a, a kind of a, everyone in the room agreed as users are there that a council creates places beautiful places where people live communities can thrive but that with when there's care involved with that that really jeopardizes the financial ability of, of those organizations to do that um, I guess really my kind of my last question, this is about kind of the inspiring the next generation. You talked about that being one of your aspirations as a leader. Obviously, what you've achieved in your career is it would be an aspiration, and inspiration to anybody starting out in career in local government. What advice would you give to somebody thinking about or just starting their career in local government if they wanted to, you know, to, to get the most out of that experience of working for local government?
1: It seems a strange thing to say, but in some respects, if you get the opportunity, go and work somewhere that's awful. And the reason I say that is because I learned a huge amount through my career development by initially working in a local authority, which I had no idea at the time, but weren't very good. Because in those hardship moments, you learn an awful lot more than an authority that's already ticking over very well. And you learn more about yourself as well. So I think if you get the opportunity to go and work somewhere that is going through some pain, don't shy away from that, grab that opportunity, go and shine in that place. And that will always be good for your broader career. I think the other aspect for me is that local government is is amazing in the sense that there's so many jobs involved And opportunities involved to move all over the country, bluntly, all over the world. So it is absolutely a career that I don't think anyone sits there at school and thinks I'm going to become a local government officer. But actually, they probably should because what you can give, the difference you can make, and the fact that you can take it can take you everywhere or anywhere. And every day is completely different (laughs) for good or bad. Every day is a is a learning day, and that's that's exciting.
0: Or is for me. I think it's amazing. I think a real inspiration to anybody listening out there who's thinking about career in local government, have a listen to this podcast. Have a look at Arthur because it really is fantastic to see leaders really caring and having compassion for the the communities they serve. Um Arthur, it's been an absolute delight to talk with you today. Um thank you for your patience uh with with the Wi Fi and the IT. Um I can see why you're a good leader because you've been very good at adapting to the uh, <laughs> the <laughs> IT issue. But thank you for your time. It really is is very much appreciated. You're more than welcome.
1: Not a problem. Thank you.
0: To those listening at home thank you so much for your time we have today been speaking to arthur shavonia um baber Mid suffolk council's chief executive we've been discussing the ambition and long-term vision um of of not only their council but also councils in, in general and how they achieve that um if you've enjoyed the episode please give it a like give it a share give it a five-star review and please make sure to tell a friend about it thank you for now and i look forward to bringing you more episodes later in the week Today's episode is sponsored by the UK Leisure Framework, the UK's only dedicated leisure framework. The UK Leisure Framework allows for the direct appointment of a development partner for the scoping, design and construction of leisure centres and sports facilities. The framework is available to all UK public sector organisations and has completed over 100 projects to date. For more information, visit leisureframework.co.uk.